0: Well, good morning, Chili Bible. Morning. How are we doing this morning? Everybody, everybody wide awake and enjoying life? On a crisp fall morning? Anybody chipping frost this morning? Off the windshield? I had to do that earlier in the week, and I thought, it is too early for this to be happening. Um, I wanted to just uh, draw your attention to uh, Kenton. Mentioned this earlier uh, with uh, Earl Green's mother passing away. Um, the funeral is this coming Saturday at 10 o'clock at Preston Hanley Funeral Home in Creve Coeur. The visitation is 5 to 7 on Friday night. Uh, I'm sure if any of us that can stop in and pray with them, give them a hug, be a big encouragement. So um, just want to draw your attention to that detail. Uh, We're going to be in John chapter 3 this morning. We're going to be wrapping up John chapter 3, looking at uh, John the Baptist again. And as you make your way there, let me ask you a question. How do you feel at the moment when your gifts, your abilities, your talents are beginning to be eclipsed by somebody else. How do you feel right at that moment? We're we're right at the point where you're at the peak of your success and everything is going great. Somebody else comes along doing the same kind of thing that you are doing and they're better at it than you are. How do you feel right then? Just imagine with me for a minute... Uh, that you are John the Baptist. You've spent the last several years of your life living in the desert, out in the wilderness. You've been eating bugs and honey. Uh, You've been preaching daily. You've been calling people to repent before the coming of the Kingdom of God. You've been baptizing the repentant. And your ministry is going great! It's phenomenal! What's happening? Hundreds and even thousands of people are coming out to you to listen to you speak and to be baptized in the Jordan River, and life is going really good. In fact, there have even been some religious leaders who have come out to see if you are Elijah the prophet back, brought back to life. And people are beginning to ask if maybe you could be the Messiah. Man, your, your ministry is at its peak And right at that very moment, God reveals to you who the Messiah actually is. And it's your cousin from over in the little town of Nazareth, Jesus, the carpenter's boy. And you announce His coming and He begins to minister and people immediately start moving away from you and your ministry and toward Him. And they follow Him. In fact, some of Jesus' disciples are some guys that used to be your disciples. And they start baptizing in an area that's not all that far away from you. And about that time, some of the few remaining people gathered around you start having a conversation with someone about purification. The Gospel doesn't tell us much about the contents of that conversation, but we can guess from the context that it had to do with whose baptism was better. Was it John's baptism? Or was it the one that Jesus' disciples were doing? And I think if we look closely at this text here this morning, what we'll find in John's response is first of all a good example to follow when we struggle with envy and jealousy uh, with our pride that rises up when we see somebody else succeeding in something that we also have been doing and it'll give us some deep instruction about how to go to war against our own pride and i think it's worth looking at so Uh, I want to pray, first of all, and then read here at the end of John chapter 3. So let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks deep into our hearts, into the hidden areas that we maybe don't want anyone else to know about, but are still present. Uh, Father, help us uh, through the process of learning your word to mortify Put to death our own pride and our own envy and our own jealousy. That by your Holy Spirit, Father, these parts of us might die away. And we might exalt Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is how, what the text says here in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming up and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi... at the bridegroom's voice therefore this joy of mine is now complete he must increase but i must decrease now if you look closely at these verses i think there are three important truths that john the baptist teaches us first of all um i think I think, first of all, what you see here with John the Baptist in verse 27 is that he has a healthy perspective. A healthy perspective. Rather than worrying that his ministry and his, his influence are coming to an end, he's just about to be put in prison, in fact, uh, for preaching against uh, Herod committing incest with his uh, brother's wife. He sees that his ministry is coming to an end. He sees that his his purpose has been fulfilled. But as it's ending, he sees also that everything, every single thing comes from God as a gift. He has a healthy perspective. He recognizes that everything comes from God as a gift. And so his ministry and his influence in the nation of Israel at that time have been God's gift. And in the same way, what is happening through Jesus, as Jesus' ministry expands, even as his is fading away, that that is happening according to God's will. And that keeps him from being prideful when his role was ascending, and being discouraged when it was on the wane, because he has a healthy perspective that I did not, this is not due to me, this is due to God, and I have received all these things as a gift. And when we succeed, it comes from God. And when we Uh, start to fade away and others begin to succeed, guess what? That also comes from God. It's God that gave them their success. And if we maintain a healthy perspective like John has here, what he exhibits here, it it rescues us from jealously thinking that other people are just lucky, or just born into privilege that they don't deserve. You know, that's that's kind of what, what I tend to do, right? And maybe you do it too. Like, um, whenever I succeed, it is due to my wonderful specialness, uh, my hard work, my perseverance, my giftedness, um, my blessing, my, you know, every, I deserve this, right? But when other people succeed, well, what happened? Well, they were just lucky, I guess, you know, or... You know, they they got connections. You know, they're just the kind of person who falls, you know, kind of backwards into into things, just all by itself, you know. No. What John recognizes is what we need to recognize that everything that a person receives, they receive from God as a gift. And. When we've got a healthy perspective, we recognize that God is the one who apportions to each person according to His plans and His purposes. And if we maintain that, we don't get jealous when other people succeed. We don't get prideful when we succeed. And we don't get depressed when, despite our efforts, things don't go as well as we want them to go. Or when our star stops rising. You know, I think, I think one of the things that you confront as you, as you hit middle age, which I realize I'm now there, right, is that there comes a point where you realize that, um, that, you, that despite what they told you at graduation, that you cannot be everything that you want to be, right? That, that you are not going to change the world all by your lonesome, Right? We, I don't know why we lie to high school kids like that, but we do. Every year at graduation, we say, "You can go out in the world, you'll change the world. You can be anything you want to be." Is that true? No. <laughs> OK? But we lie to them and we tell we, we want to be encouraging, right? So we, we tell them this, this radically untrue things. And part of getting to middle age is realizing that that was all made up, right? You're going to get to a certain level, and that's probably about where you're going to be. Probably about where where your gifts and abilities and the, the things that God has given you are going to hit their peak, as a matter of fact. But if you have a healthy perspective on this, you receive what you have as God's gift and His blessing. Rather than feeling like you got continually shorted somehow, Because somebody else did better than you. Amen? And that's John's attitude. Every single thing that we enjoy comes from God. And the second thing we see is not just a healthy perspective with John, but we see a humble purpose. Look at verse 28-29. John understood, and I think you see this clearly, that his job is ultimately not about him is not about him it's about serving the lord and making the messiah known to the extent that he was successful in serving the lord and making the messiah known then he shared in jesus joy and he uses this illustration he says look uh, i'm like the best man at the wedding And a Jewish best man had a a big job. His job was to preside over the wedding feast. His job was to bring the bride and groom together and to stand guard outside the honeymoon suite uh, until uh, until the groom arrived. You know, the bride would be ushered in. She'd be there. Awaiting the groom's arrival. And then he's standing guard outside the door until the groom arrives. And he is waiting to protect her from any imposters who might want to intrude on on their wedding night. That's his job, is to protect her until... The Bride and Groom are brought together, and so when he would hear in the night the Bridegroom's voice, and it was his job to recognize the Bridegroom's voice, he would allow that man into the Bridal Chamber, but nobody else. And he says, "I am the bride I, I am not the Bridegroom. I'm the best man." In other words, my my life, my ministry, my role in this is not the main event. By the way, who is the main event? Those of you who took Sunday school? Jesus, right? Yeah, right. It's it's uh it's I don't you've probably heard this joke, right? About the Sunday school teacher who asked her kid, or ask, ask her kids, you know, so what kind of animal you know, lives in the woods, eats nuts, and has a bushy tail. And one little girl raised her hand and said, "said um, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but since I'm at Sunday school, I'm going to say Jesus. <laughs> okay. The main event, the main event is Jesus. And John recognizes that, look, My purpose in life is not to be the main event. It's to make Jesus known and to proclaim Him and to serve Him because guess what? He is the main event. He is the bridegroom and I am just the best man at the wedding. So, in the same way, our lives ought to to reflect that same view of a humble purpose. That my purpose in this life, believe it or not, is not my success in whatever job God has given me. Instead, it is using that job, whatever it is, to connect people to Jesus and to make Him known. So if I fix cars for a living, I fix them to God's glory as a way of opening conversation to talk about Jesus. If I, uh, am, if I have my kids at home and, and I'm uh, able to stay, stay with them and, and talk with them uh, each day and raise them, then what I'm doing is I am not simply parenting, hoping to keep them alive. I am raising them to know and to follow and to serve Jesus. I'm parenting to the glory of God. If I work at a desk, I do so with excellence, with the idea that I point people to Jesus by what I'm doing. Nobody just has a job. Amen? Everybody, if you are a believer in Jesus, by the way, this is ancient truth, okay? I didn't make this up. This is what the church has always believed, that nobody just has a job, that everybody has instead a calling, a vocation, if you will. Everybody who knows Jesus is in vocational ministry, whatever their job is. It's a stay-at-home parent. They parent to the glory of God. Helping their kids to know and to follow and to serve Jesus. If they are a transmission specialist, they do that so that people might know and follow and serve Jesus as they are exposed to Him through them. If you are a teacher, you teach to the glory of God. Whatever your role is, uh, and it isn't uh, our our success is not in our bank account, not in our possessions. Uh, It is found in making Jesus known. That's our humble purpose. Whatever we do, our job is to make Jesus known. Just like John. And finally, these things lead to John's heartfelt response. Verse 30. Look at this. This This is one of the greatest statements of anyone who is not deity in the entire Bible. John chapter 3, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. John meant that. He actually meant that. I could probably say that. But to really mean that is an amazing thing. And I think that attitude is what made him one of the greatest men in in the history of the world. He really believed that the most important thing in his life was that Jesus be exalted even as he diminished. And I just confess to y'all that I have some growing up to do on that verse. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to work at it a while to grow into that. To have an attitude that the most important thing in my life is not my success, my Prosperity, my blessing, it's the exaltation of Jesus. I would really like to think this way. But sometimes I live my life like it's the opposite like Jesus must decrease so I can increase, right? By the Holy Spirit's empowerment, we need to keep coming back to the reality that this should be our heart attitude to increase the amount of Jesus that people see and decrease the amount of us. That His light might shine out through me to them. You know how you get that? I think it is by understanding deep in your heart what John tells us in verses 31 to 36. So look at those with me. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There are four... Four things I want you to see in these verses. The first one is that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme. His position is above everyone and everything. It says He is above all. In fact, it repeats it twice in verse 31. Like just in case you missed it the first time, He is above all. He is supreme. And if you are a mere human like John the Baptist, or like you, or like me, we come from the earth. And our wisdom and skills don't compare to His. He is the one who alone came down from heaven. Amen? So He is supreme. And second, we need to understand Jesus' testimony. When Jesus speaks, He speaks as a witness to heavenly things because He is God and He always speaks the truth. So in other words, if you acknowledge what Jesus says, then you are agreeing with God that what He said is true. That's that bit about setting your seal to this, that God is true. We also need to understand Jesus' authority. Look at verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Who's the Son? Jesus. Yeah, let's get that again. Okay. Who is the Son? Jesus. Yes. So how much authority does He have? All of it, okay? Because the Father has given all things into His hand. In other words, there is not one single thing in all the universe over which Jesus does not rule. Or as I heard somebody say once, there is not one maverick molecule in the universe over which Jesus does not shout, Mine! Everything in the universe, molecules to moles, you know, quarks to uh, to stars, to people, to gorillas, to whatever there is, atoms, rabbits, everything in the universe is under the authority and rule of. Jesus and he has been given that authority by whom by the father who loves him in other words why am i emphasizing all these things why does john emphasize these things it is because if we're going to think and respond like john the baptist responds we need to understand who jesus really is and who we are in relationship to him amen That he is ruler, authority, king. He is supreme over all things. What he speaks is absolutely true in every case. And then finally, we need to understand Jesus, I'm going to call it his singular saving power, as John describes it, verse 36. And what John is telling us here in verse 36 is very, very simple. He's saying, look, Jesus is the dividing line between salvation, eternal life, in the presence of God, forever, in eternity. Or on the other side, wrath and judgment and punishment in hell for eternity. That that life and death ultimately have their division point at Jesus. Jesus. Those who believe in Jesus as Messiah receive eternal life. Those who do not remain under God's wrath. So just to be really really clear, just because this is the kind of the ethos of our day, there are not many roads up the mountain to God. Okay? There's not just any old road that will get you there. It is not whatever you believe that will be sufficient on the day of judgment. That's not true. That's popular, but wrong. Jesus is the road, the only road that leads to life. He is the door through which a person must pass to enter eternal life. It is only through faith in Jesus. And notice here, look how, look how John connects these two ideas. John connects believing and obeying. Did you see that? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not... You're expecting to see the word believe. He says whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. In other words... Those two are parallel ideas belief and obedience. To believe in Jesus in a real way is to obey Jesus. And to obey Jesus is to demonstrate that you believe in him. You see how those two are connected? By the way, the converse is also true. If you do not obey Jesus, what does that say about the reality of your faith? Can I submit to you it doesn't say anything good? Verse 36 indicates to us that people who don't believe and who demonstrate their unbelief by their disobedience to Jesus remain under God's wrath and judgment. It's a very serious thing. You know, sometimes I will talk with people and they will say, Oh, yeah, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believed in Jesus when I was like nine years old in VBS. They're not obeying him. They haven't walked with Jesus one iota since that day. Do they really believe in Jesus? Not by anything that you could tell. Should they have confidence as they go to the toward the end of their life that they're going to walk into heaven? Not by anything the scripture says. Are they are they in fact saved? I think the best thing you can say is maybe. Maybe they have genuine faith and they're just living in rebellion right now and God, because He loves them, has been patient and has not disciplined them yet. But do they have authentic faith? Maybe, but probably not. Belief and obedience are very strongly connected. Again, let me be very, very clear. Why are these six verses here? At the end of this section, here on right after a story about John the Baptist, they are here because if we understand who Jesus is relative to who we are, we can much more easily see ourselves in proper perspective. If Jesus is supreme, then guess who is not? Me. If Jesus reigns over all things, then I am one of the people over whom He rules. Amen? If Jesus is the only Savior, I don't have to worry when my efforts fall short or get eclipsed by somebody else's. But these verses also remind me that because all these things are true, the most important thing in life is not my success, It's not your success. It's not where we stand relative to other people. What matters is making Jesus known and connecting people to Him and finding our joy in proclaiming Jesus who gives eternal life to everyone who believes in Him. That's the point of life. It is in making Jesus known and connecting people to Him. Bringing the bride and the bridegroom together like the best man at the wedding. Now, there are all kinds of applications to our lives in in this text. But just in case we've forgotten some of them by now, let me me just draw our attention and remind us of a few things here as I wrap up. Number one, here's the question. How do you react when other people succeed at a level beyond yours? God might be speaking to you through this text about jealousy and about envy and about pride. And if he is, can I remind you that it is ultimately God who determines where people land. Number two, at the end of the day, our job is to increase the amount of of Jesus that people see and decrease the amount of us. Our lives need to not be dedicated to our own glorification, but to magnifying Jesus and to ridding our hearts by the Holy Spirit of everything that makes it hard for other people to see Him. Including our prideful insistence on being first. He must increase and I must decrease. Amen? We don't want to make it hard for people to see Jesus because we're so swole up with our own pride. Number three, Jesus is the only one worthy of worship, adoration, and exaltation. The only one. We don't need to worry about our status. Amen? We don't need to worry. Because what's our status? We're children of the living God. Sons of the Heavenly Father. All things that belong to Him belong to us as our inheritance. Nobody's got it better than that. Okay? I don't care if you're Jeff Bezos' heir. You ain't got it better than that a child of God. And Jesus is the only one worthy of our worship and adoration. And we really don't need to focus on ourselves at all, but on Christ. He is the Lord of all things. He is the only Savior. And our lives need to be dedicated to exalting Him, not exalting ourselves. And then finally... If you do not know Jesus, if you do not know Jesus, and all of this is just going right over your head, and you're going, yeah, this is all interesting and spiritual sounding and all the rest of that, but I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. I don't even understand any of this. Let me explain it to you very, very simply. Life is found in knowing Jesus Christ. Life is found in knowing Jesus Christ. If you're you're my generation, you remember that U2 song from back in the 80s, Joshua Tree. Uh, The uh, song goes, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And the guy goes through all of his experiences, all the things that he's done and said and seen and, and felt. He says, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Let me just tell you this. If that describes you to this point, let me just go on record and say that Jesus is the one you are looking for. Life is found in knowing Him. Life is found in knowing Him. And if you believe in Jesus, you receive eternal life. That does not simply mean, by the way, that when you die, you go to heaven. Eternal life is is the Bible's way of talking about a new kind of life. Not just that you live forever in heaven, but that you have God's life within your own soul and it begins to change who you are today. And being in heaven is just the culmination of that process of God's life being infused into your soul and changing who you are from the inside out. That's what eternal life is all about. It's about transformation into the child of God that He is calling you to be. But also understand, the Bible's very, very clear about this, and Jesus most of all, over 160 times in your Bible, Jesus tells you about judgment and warns you away from it. And if you do not find life in Jesus, there is nothing good awaiting you except death and punishment. Obey Jesus. Believe in Him. behind in Him the life that is really life. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the, for the example of John, for deep teaching about who Jesus is from Your Word. For an understanding, Father, that if we understand who Jesus is, then we have no problem lining up underneath Him and following Him and obeying Him. And our pride begins to fall away as we look to the One who is really worthy of exaltation and adoration. The only One who is worthy of worship, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who has not put their trust in Jesus yet, that today would be the day when they do so. When they find the life that is really life, by believing that He is God, that He is Lord of all things, and that as Lord, He has declared their sin to be an offense and a crime against Him, and yet has come down from heaven to die on the cross in their place for what they did. That they might be forgiven and have their sin canceled out and instead receive eternal life and was raised from the dead to prove His identity as God and to give them new life. Father, I pray if they have never believed that message, the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Father, that today would be the day they believe and that they might enter into life and receive it with great joy. And Father, we pray as we go out that you would help us to keep Jesus in perspective relative to us and to worship Him and follow Him in every part of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.